Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. My name is Mitch Michaels, host of the Sports Podcast. Delighted to be talking to you mid-November, football season heating up. Got some other things to talk about as well. Uh, Kent Brown joining the show. Uh, don't don't know if he has all of his toes, what the bookies did, but uh, Kent, welcome back. Yeah, I mean, after our wedding weekend, I heard Baskin and Robbins is down to five flavors, <laughs> and uh, there are a few people... Uh, swelling up as we talk so yeah it definitely was an interesting vibe out in california yeah. happy to be back in pennsylvania now but let's just say that uh the bookies were good in california and the bookies out in pennsylvania now that betting's legal here i don't have to worry about them when i'm home only when i'm out on the west coast because as we know clearly sports betting isn't something that can help the economy out there no definitely not why would it ever do that i mean it's just crazy just offshore more uh, but I digress. Uh, I mentioned college football has only got two weeks uh, left to go in the regular season. There, then there's, you know, conference championship week. Still a lot to be decided in the last year of the four-team playoff, Kent. A lot of directions we can go this past week recapping all the action on the field. I want to start with this. What was it, 30, what, two straight running plays for Michigan when they just ran the ball right down Penn State's throat? And I should also mention the Harbaugh stuff that's still going around. He did get suspended on Friday. We're still waiting to see if that'll get lifted. But as of now, out for the rest of the regular season. Uh, just a lot of chaos going on in Ann Arbor, but they are still undefeated beating Penn State. It was a huge win, and at the end of the day, you just want to get the win. I don't know about this whole we're America's team and Sharon Moore crying after the game as if uh, that you know the, as if their coach was like, hit by a car that week and they survived this this big ordeal at the end of the day it is michigan that was doing it unto itself and even though connor stallions as of now is the only one proven to have known we know the way college football works we understand it's very doubtful that there wasn't at least a large number of the coaching staff if not all of the coaching staff that knew what was going on but realistically in college football sense this is potentially the best team in the country they're certainly one of the best five teams in the country. And to see them go into state college, win the way they did was very impressive. And it's also funny that no offense to JJ McCarthy, because he's a good college quarterback, but they realized probably the only way they're losing this game with mm -hmm. the lead was if JJ McCarthy threw it and it was intercepted by one of Penn state's DBs and exactly. returned, or he was knocked and, trying to pass the ball and then it was a strip sack and maybe a short field that way. I think Michigan knew we just handed off to Corum, handed off to Donovan Edwards. We might not get 70 yards every drive, but we're not going to turn it over and Penn state's not going to go 70 yards on us. Yeah. And yeah. that's really what Michigan knew. And that was the difference. So it was an impressive game plan when they figured out, let's just try to survive this game. And the only way Penn state can beat us is if we give the ball to them on a short field or their defense scores. I mean, it was an impressive win. I know I'm with you in lockstep. Like, nothing bad happened to Harbaugh. Like, he, he'll be fine. He just may or may not have broken rules. Like, that was a lot. But, look, it's it's a big win for Michigan. They're going to most likely, it's going to be undefeated. Michigan versus undefeated Ohio State, barring some crazy upsets here. Uh, for Penn State, and I know this you know gets you down in a dark place, but another year where Franklin just can't beat his rivals, uh, and his top 10 record is atrocious. But, again, it's the same story. Like, they're not... You know, again, it's not as close as the final score. That's the takeaway I have. The Ohio State-Michigan games are not as close as the final score indicated. The other thing, though, that is frustrating is in the future, they're going to be right in the battle for that 10 or 11 seed in this 12-team playoff. Yeah. And, that's, yeah. and that's what I hope the committee doesn't do starting next year. I would rather see a team with three losses 
that has quality wins than a team that has no quality wins and has two losses. Yeah, Maybe at the end of the season, Iowa finishes yeah. 10 and 2, and that would be a quality win in and of itself. The number 12 is just a, is a lot, too, because I'm looking at the rankings. I know, you know we're on the outside of you know the playoff expansion, maybe not as positive as some people, but I get it. Okay. You want to expand it. It can make some things more excited. I'm willing to hear that argument. But if you look at the rankings, I think you pretty much agree with me. Once you hit that, like, you know, Alabama in the AP polls eighth, Louisville's ninth, there is a significant dip after that. And then, yeah, a team like Penn State, who has no quality wins, is sitting at 12 in the AP poll right on the cusp. No tests left. Only going to be helped. I mean, that's, to me, I'm, I'm with you. I don't know that we have more than 8, 10 at the most quality playoff teams. Yeah, but to go back to Penn State, they're going to flip this going forward and you're going to see programs like Penn state and maybe even Brian Kelly at Notre Dame would have been like this a few times. Florida. I know over the years would have been a a beneficiary of this where you lose your big games. You don't really have that significant win, but you do win 10 games, nine games and you get in. That's going to be kind of weird. And that's where I like right now, as you said, with James Franklin and Penn state, They've lost their two biggest games. They're going to finish 10-2. and two. That's a down year for them, and there needs to be questions. Next year, probably an 11 seed. They're playing a six seed from the SEC or a rematch of a Big Ten team. And now their fans go, well, we're in the 12-team playoff. Mm-hmm. Things are okay. Yeah. That's where I do think things will change for the worse in terms of the future. But right now, yes, to go back to Penn State, mm-hmm. James Franklin said years ago he was tired of being great. It's time for them to be elite. <laughs> yeah. I would think he'd be happy with them being great at the moment because they yeah. don't look great. The offense no. has way too much talent. They have a future top five pick on offensive tackle. Drew Aller, by all accounts, is a guy that they're not letting open up the playbook for. And I understand he's a first-year starter, but you're not going to win the national title no. if you have your quarterback drop the ball in the safe, safe spot 100% of the time. And their defense is very good. They have one of the best defenses in the country. But for Penn State's sake, and again, yeah, I'm not losing sleep over it, Penn State's a team right now that just seemingly is that third team in their own division, and the other two teams are significantly better. Kind of the same way it was with Harbaugh a few years ago when Penn State and Ohio State were the top two teams, and then you threw in Michigan State for a while was the top two (laughs) team, and Harbaugh was sitting there at third or fourth in his own division. That's where Franklin is now. And I think you look at Michigan, you look Mm -hmm. at Ohio State, if they played Penn State 20 times this year, odds are they probably win 18 of those 20 games after you saw the way Penn State played Mm -hmm. them twice. There would be some close ones. Right, right, yeah. I don't see Penn State scoring 28 points in any of those games. And that's the problem with them until they get, and and yeah, it's not even talent, until they get better structure and figure out what they're doing on offense. And maybe it is opening up the playbook for Al or finding a better option at quarterback. It's it's a tough situation. You know, the rest of the top four, top five even, and I'll expand it out for the playoff. You know, Ohio State didn't have a test at all really with Michigan State. We've seen, uh, we saw Florida State beat Miami by seven, which I want to get to with you, Kent. But I have to say, I mean, Georgia Ole Miss was hyped up as a big game and Georgia dismantled them, won by 35 points. That was, you know, and again, it might reflect more poorly on Ole Miss, Kent, but that was a win we were looking for. Is Georgia for real? Is this three-peat, you know, in the discussion? They got the result that we've been waiting on, beating a highly ranked team in a matchup that, again, wasn't even close. Yeah, Georgia now has turned it on in some of its quote-unquote biggest games, whether it was Kentucky when they came in ranked, whether it's you know Ole Miss who were you know in the top 10. 
I do think for Georgia, they're a team that seemingly sleptwalked through a lot of the first half of the season. Missouri is by far their best quality win, in my opinion, they've had all season. Because I think Missouri is a legitimate top 10, top 12 type of team this season. And But we're going to find out. It's now set. It's going to be Alabama against Georgia. The SEC title game's already set. And I think Georgia wins that game. I was kind of under belief they would probably trip up once this season. It's now not really looking that way. It looks like they'll probably be undefeated going into that SEC title game. Clearly, Alabama's playing much better football than they have all season. Their defense has been much better than it's been the last few years. Offensively, as we saw early on with Jalen Milrow, and then he got benched to one game for Buckner and Ty Simpson, Jalen Milrow's become a stud in running the football passing the football he's been much better is this is this Saban's best coach job you think because I think it's got to be up there for what for how he managed some of the early season turmoil at the quarterback position but also as you said how he's got this defense playing I mean it's so hard to say that because the guy has seven national (laughs) championships so so for for me to say it's his best coaching job when he's nine and one and we don't know how he's going to finish is but I will say this he's clearly coaching them up well this year because it didn't look like a team seven, eight weeks ago that appeared to be anywhere near a fourteen playoff. No, even in that LSU but, game, LSU was you know had the hammer for a little bit. You know they could. You know, this record is impressive because I don't know that it's you know it's not the typical Alabama team that we just see them play and see the other team and we're like okay they're going to roll. They've had to earn every one of these. Yeah. On the other hand, though, you do look at their roster yeah. and they have by far the <laughs> most blue chip talent of uh-huh. any team. They're loaded with talent. They just had the, the top recruiting class of all time in terms of rankings last year. So yeah. they're not hurting for talent. The quarterback issue appeared to be something three, four, five weeks into the year that seemed like it just wasn't going to get much better. And that's been where the coaching, I think, has gotten much better. I think we all knew the defense was going to be improved quite a bit this year just based on personnel and development. But, yeah, it's certainly a good coaching year for Saban, but we'll have to see how he finishes. Right. Nick Saban still has to have the Iron Bowl. You know, Auburn is bad as they've been. Auburn seems to kind of make a game out of that Iron Bowl every other year. And I know, I know. Then there's Georgia. And Georgia, we know, is that's going to be the real test. And if you're Alabama and beat Georgia, very good likelihood you're in the playoff. Where were you with the Florida State-Miami outcome? I know as a Miami alum and, you know, that obviously the Georgia Tech game being a disaster, Miami had shown some promise. This is a seven-point game. Do you think this is more about Miami being close to getting to that to that level? Or did Florida State leave some something to be desired? Because there's two ways to look at it, right? Florida State's four, Miami's unranked. It's a seven-point game. But we know what potential Miami has. So how do you assess the outcome of this one? Yeah, I like what I saw out of Miami's youth. I believe I saw a stat that said Miami true freshmen had like 600 combined snaps in the game. Florida State only had 31. So it's kind of the opposite of Norvell a year or two ago where Norvell, you saw the talent was getting better, but the wins and losses weren't quite there yet. Uh, That's the way I look at Cristobal and this Miami team. I know that Miami's going to do really well on the lines they have. Ruben Bain's been probably the best defensive end for any freshman in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, Francis Malanoa almost definitely is the best freshman offensive lineman in the country. So on that level, they're doing good things. You know, you watch this Oregon team play. It's a lot of guys that Chris the ball recruited <laughs> and left <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and, and Eugene. That's the type of team he's going to have. The second quarter was really impressive. 
because Miami just ran the ball down Florida State's throat pretty much the entire quarter. Yep. It didn't quite translate that way, and Florida State was smart in the second half where Emory Williams, the true freshman quarterback, they knew he was probably not going to react well to blitz, and so they brought the blitz a lot, and because of that, there were a lot of negative plays for Miami in the second half. But overall, I think the Florida State team is very good, but I look at them, and then I look at a few other teams around the country, and I think they might be a little bit a step below in terms of the Ohio State, Michigan, Oregon, uh, and obviously Georgia. I think right now I would take <laughs> Alabama if they played Florida State this weekend. Washington's an interesting one. I'm not so sure Washington right now that, is playing Isn't, it, isn't it odd? Like the Pac-12 results, and we talked about the depth of this conference, but yeah, Washington, I don't know if it's sleepwalking. I don't know if they're just playing some football that's less, left to be desired, but Utah pushed them around a little bit. Washington finds a way to win. Their defense finally does show up. It seemed late, but that was that was a surprising one, and we're all acknowledging, right, that Oregon seems like the better team, but you can't debate and can't deny what happened when they played the first time. We'll see how this shakes out, but the Pac-12 to me, I mean, these results this weekend notwithstanding, Kent, still a lot to, still a lot to be decided because Oregon, you would think they went out, Pac-12, win that title game into the playoff, but the uh, formerly known as Civil War is always a monkey wrench in the plans, and I feel like that's going to be the Dare I say that might be the tougher game left for them? Like if they beat Oregon State, I feel pretty good about them winning the whole Pac-12 and getting into the playoff. When you look at the Saturday night, Oregon State's favored against Washington. Washington <laughs> opened up that game either minus two or minus one, depending on where you looked at it. Oregon State's now a two and a half point favorite in that game. So oh. I think Vegas is kind of showing you, <laughs> please bet Washington. Yeah, P- They want people to look at that ranking. They want them to look at Penix and that high power offense. But that game is in Corvallis. You have an Oregon State team that almost definitely is going to be able to move the football offensively. And defensively, if they can get like three or four stops, that might be good enough to find a way to win that game. I mean, they're still in the Pac-12 title hunt, too, because that's the thing. Like, they win that game. Then Washington has one loss. They're, you know, one back in the conference from Oregon. Like, there's a lot to be playing for for Oregon State, so... Yeah, it's, oh, if Oregon a, State wins out, they're in the championship because they would own <laughs> they would own the tiebreaker over Oregon and or Washington they if just they dropped beat another. Wow. How about the job? Ari- how about the job Arizona's done this year? By the way, I want to shout them out because that's an incredible seven and three record that should be pretty much should be eight and two if they win that USC game. Yeah, I said that to our our buddy Witt last week. I said, uh, man, it's it's kind of wild to think that Arizona probably blew that USC game and had they won that game they would be in the top 10 uh, maybe top 12 as of today and they would be in really good shape to have a chance in that Pac-12 they've been extremely impressive and they, they looked the part last year again kind of what I said about like where, where Norvell was under 500 for a couple years mm-hmm. at FSU but you saw the program was getting better uh, I think Miami's that same boat I look at what Jed yeah. Fish did last year where Jetfish pulled a couple upsets, was close in a lot of games, and now you're seeing this Arizona team turn it around a lot. And then on the other hand, you have UCLA with Chip Kelly. They laid an egg against Arizona State last week, and now they have USC this weekend. That's a game, if they lose to USC, there there might be some murmurs about Chip Kelly being replaced because you go into the Big Ten and you're 7-5, and 
and lose to the USC team that appears to be somewhat lifeless <laughs> late in the season, yeah. that would not be a good sign for Chip Kelly and, mm-hmm. and, and UCLA. Now, we know they're a pretty cheap team. Uh, they probably would give him another year. But one thing is, going into the Big Ten, you kind of want to have all your you know, T's crossed and I's dotted. And that's not the way UCLA looks. Early on the season, they had Dante Moore starting as a true freshman. It appeared the future was bright. Now it's Connor Schlee starting. It was Garber starting a bit. Moore has not really been in the picture. There's a lot more questions than answers with that UCLA team. But overall, just back to what you said about you know Washington and Oregon State and Oregon, it's going to be a big two weeks up there in the Pacific Northwest. And we don't get to say that a lot at this time of year. Back in the past, it's been just Oregon or just Washington. Mm-hmm. Now you have all three of those teams that will be highly rated in the stretch run. It's pretty crazy, pretty remarkable. And uh, before we get to looking at some games, some point spreads uh, this weekend, the penultimate weekend of the college football season, got to talk about the guy that, can I agree with you? I mean, he should be the Heisman front runner in Jaden Daniels. And I hope that it's starting to trend. First football player in subdivision history to have 350 yards passing and 200 yards rushing in the same game and i know people are going to say who you know what's their record what's their overall spread look like and my counter is the same as yours he's not responsible for his defense he's putting up numbers and you can compare what Penix and what bo nicks have done especially against top teams and right now i think as at least as far as quarterbacks go since it's been mostly a quarterback award he's the guy yeah, I think there's clearly four guys squarely in the mix at the moment, and he's one of them. Marvin Harrison Jr. would be the non-quarterback. Yeah. And then you have those two Pacific Northwest guys and Knicks and Penix. But yeah, I look at Daniels, and just week after week, he's showing up and giving like A-plus performances. And it's not his fault that the defense is not only not good, it's been a liability almost every week of the season. Mm-hmm. And it's not like the team's five and seven at the end of the year. If they go nine and three, we saw RG three win at nine and three. Exactly, that was a Tebow uh, too. We saw Tebow in his one year. We also saw Lamar Jackson win at nine. I think, think Manziel was around there too. So, um, yeah, that, that's and look and the QBR too. Just before you keep going, like it's not like we know there's guys that put up numbers, offenses that just throw it and put it in the QB's hands all the time. He's got four picks this year, so I would like to think. That that's he's factoring been, okay, right. Like he's been better than what Baker Mayfield was. Yes. When Baker Mayfield won the Heisman, uh, you know, he has not quite been on the Joe Burrow level, but who has? <laughs> but realistically, I look at some of these guys that have won the Heisman over the last 15 years, and he compares every bit as favorably as almost all of them. And again, because his defense gave up 45 points a couple times, that's going to be the reason he doesn't win it. Mm-hmm. I do think that's a little unfair. Now, we also have, let's see what Penix does these next three weeks. Let's see what Bo Nix does these next two or three weeks. And Marvin Harrison Jr., if he goes for, you know, 10 and 180 and a few touchdowns against yeah, Michigan. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. Like, if he lights up Michigan, it. he needs to be in the top three at the very least. So, but, hey, it, it's just, it's good to see. And I, I love the fact that, you know, you follow the betting market as much as anyone, how much this has shifted. It's kind of cool. There was no locks. That's why. This is such a prestigious award. We've seen the shift all year. It's been very remarkable. Kent Brown here on the Money Mitch Effect. Uh, some big games this week before we get to the final week of the season. Want to get your thoughts quickly on uh, your boys, your ACC boys, Miami taking on Louisville. One and a half point underdogs, one to one and a half point underdogs at home. How do you see this one shaking out? I'm, I'm intrigued with it. I, do, I, I feel bad that Emery 
Williams went down late in that game last week, right towards the end. Van Dyke came in, forced the pass. Van Dyke is such he's such a wild card right now because he's just not confident. He's not reading defenses properly. There's a reason he was benched and did not play last week yeah. until the final, you know, two plays. But uh I think Miami has a solid shot. It's a game that, you know, it's noon in Miami, which is kind of one of those like sleepy games where the environment's not going to be great. But then that also might help because maybe Louisville is not totally jacked up for the game either at kickoff. I expect it to be pretty close. Ultimately with Miami, they're kind of right on that season win total where, you know, depending on where you got it preseason, it's seven and a half or seven. They'll need to win out to get the eight, seven and five could be the push. Uh, They have Boston College the week after that. I think Miami has a decent shot of winning this game. But they have to force some turnovers. If you look at Louisville's only loss, that was the game at Pitt. Pitt struggled all season. But in that game, Pitt forced a lot of turnovers. They had a defensive touchdown. Miami's defense is very good. And on that level, I think they'll keep them in the ball game. But uh, if you're going to take it, you obviously just do the money line. There's no reason to take a (laughs) point and a half or give up a point and a half if you go on the Louisville side. Another one that I'm intrigued with, and I got to bring this up because – They've been our boys dating back to the podcast we have with me, you, and Gothard. But Iowa State's hanging around. They're hanging around in that Big 12. They always seem to play Texas close. Uh, last year, you and I were you know, at a bar together when Iowa State com- uh, covered very easily against Texas. And that's going to be an intriguing game in Ames on Saturday night because we've seen Texas survive a few games lately. And this is a Texas team on paper. They're 9-1. They they won at Tuscaloosa, which is one of the most impressive wins of the season. But they gave up a huge lead to Kansas State. Probably were a little lucky to survive that game. Last week against TCU, they gave up a huge lead. That's that's not a good sign going forward. And if Texas loses this game, there's no guarantee they're so, even in the Big Ten. How title. crazy? Yeah, so and I know. Up and play well. I know your affinity for Ames, Iowa. It's been documented. Uh, yes, on the record and off the record. But yeah, the Big 12 standings, it's a nightmare. Also, like Oklahoma State, man, I, I felt bad, but it had all the signs for the letdown. I didn't think they'd get destroyed like they did by UCF. But, you know, the Big 12 is kind of a mess right now. And yeah, there's no there's no likelihood that there's no certainty that Texas wins out either. So that conference title game and dare I say, can't they could be the one. It seems like they might be the one that could shut out the playoff. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens these last few weeks. Uh Obviously, the cleanest strategy or the way for the playoff would be four undefeated Power Five conference champions and Texas, of course, just being the fifth team. That would be fine by the committee. But where there's going to be an interest is, is if you have, let's say, Florida State, Ohio State, Michigan winner, and let's just say Georgia undefeated, then you go down to is it Texas? Is it a one-loss Oregon? Well, yeah, if Bama Bama wins, yeah, then what happens there, you know? Exactly. Well, I think what happens there is if it's just down to Texas and Bama, we're going to start to see these next couple weeks where the sort of sides them. But ultimately, it's what happens to Oregon and Washington. Yeah, yeah. If Washington, if if Oregon wins out and Washington, you know, wins this week and then only loses to Oregon, and you have two one-loss teams who split the head-to-head, Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not easy. Yeah, and, and and the thing about Bama and Texas that's so interesting is that was week two. It was early in the season, 
And clearly right now, Bama's been the, the more consistent team the last month. But the head-to-head, you win at a team's location. I do think that that should get valued in as much as anything. Unless you 100% think it's not even close, the head-to-head has to factor in. And that's where, if you're Texas, you like the fact that Alabama still is in that mix. If you're Alabama, you need Texas to lose one in order to kind of you know get you in a better picture. But, yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, we have five undefeated Power 5 teams mm. as we head towards the last two weeks. I think I saw something. This is the first time since 1973 that there's been that many like power teams that are undefeated after playing 10 games. Mm. So it's usually about two or three at this point. It'll end up being at most four. And then, of course, we have James Madison and Liberty, which are not factoring in. But it's just a matter of what if we have two or three and then we have three or four one-loss teams that are really good. In the final year of this 14 playoff, the committee's going to have a tough decision potentially. But I do think Texas is in good shape knowing that they beat Alabama. Agree with you on that. I also just want to point out the other game I have my eye on this week is that Arizona-Utah game, which I think should be exciting too. We'll see if, if Arizona holds off there, man. Wow, what a year. You're staring at nine wins. I mean, it would just be a remarkable year. Uh, you mentioned USC-UCLA as well, so I want to shout out there. The last thing, Kent, this week on college football, I got to talk to you about Jimbo Fisher's buyout of $76 million. I mean, that was – it happened fast, I guess, in the public. I know we'll see what happened, but they do it after a win – and they want to get the ball rolling. We don't know who they have lined up. We know they're going to go after the biggest fish they can. But, man, they always said they had the most alumni money, and they were apparently right. Yeah, the fact that pretty much the boosters are paying for most of this and the boosters paid for most of the salary anyways, and now it can kind of be a tax write-off in many ways for some people. It's bizarre. Look, it clearly didn't work out. His offense was something that under Jameis Winston and for a little bit, Uh, Before that, the offense was pretty damn good at Florida State. But towards the end, he was struggling. The offense was not working as well as he moved on to A&M. And he never got it together there. I understand the one year in COVID, they lost the one game. But they did lose by four touchdowns to Alabama in that same season. Mm -hmm. So, again, the best season he ever had was second place in his own division in which he lost by four touchdowns to the first-place team. That's not a great thing when you're getting paid $100 million. And it was in a COVID year, which there weren't that many. There were more home fans in SEC games than anywhere else. But it wasn't the same. Yeah, 19 and 15 since then. That's the stat that stood out. Yeah, and a lot of those 19 wins are against bum teams. Mm -hmm. It's not like he was doing it. He did beat Alabama once, and that's great. And he almost beat them another time. But, yeah, I I think if you're Texas A&M, you want to try to find that coach. Now, they are the type of program that they usually don't win anything. They won one Big 12 title in the late 90s. They haven't won a conference title since. They really haven't been close to winning. I think they've only had one 10-win season in the last two decades. (laughs) So that alone kind of shows you that they're desperate. And when you're desperate, you're going to throw more money at the problem. And But there's no guarantee higher. Mike Elko was a good defensive coordinator there. I don't know if it's a guarantee he'll be a great head coach. Dan Lanning's a guy that I know people would have loved to get. He clearly has already said he's staying at Oregon, which I don't blame him. Mm-hmm. I think Oregon's a job I'd rather have than A&M. The one thing you'll get at A&M is anything you want, they'll get for you. But you're also up against the SEC. You're up against Texas and Oklahoma and 
LSU nearby. Uh, it's just not an easy job in comparison to if you can kind of dominate a region like the Pacific Northwest or if Lincoln Riley was able to get his act together in L.A., I think those are jobs you'd rather have, like Ohio State I would rather have, uh, you know, obviously Alabama, Georgia. But A&M's a job that if the right coach came there, uh-huh. they could be a potential power. But Jimbo Fisher just didn't work out. It was pretty evident. And the one thing I like them doing is cut ties now where you don't want him to go 8-4 and four or win a bowl game and then you go, is he maybe the guy? Let's give him one more shot. They kind of wanted him because he just won 51 to 10, and then they yeah. fired him. That alone basically said, we, we don't even want people to. No, you want to get a chance. jump on recruiting, too. I mean, that's that's yeah. the other side of it. So, yeah, I, it's, hey, Florida did this. I mean, it hasn't worked out with Billy Napier, but you rip that band aid off. You don't wait until the last minute, you know, and I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. And we've talked about it. There's usually one, if not more, big dominoes, and that was the one this year. So. And you would think Michigan State would have had the head start over a program like A&M, but something tells me A&M will land the bigger coach of the two when it's all said and done. Can't wait to see. It's going to be an exciting offseason. We've still got a lot of regular season left. Uh, Kent Brown, before I let you go, had to, had to touch up on the NFL here on the Money Mitch effect. It was an interesting uh, couple of days. I know that Monday night game, you probably had the same reaction, like, what the heck am I watching? It reminded me of one of those football follies, the, you know, VHSs I used to have growing up. The Bills are just a giant mess right now, and they fire Ken Dorsey as a result. Turn it over way too much, and that's the issue is in any facet of football, one way you lose to a lesser team or you make a game way tougher than it needs to be is to turn the ball over. And Josh Allen, that's been his M.O. Uh, It was one of those that uh, for a couple years there, they were able to kind of get away with it because they were just scoring so many points, and their defense was better. Now the defense seems to be somewhat lost. And on top of it, the offense just isn't quite as good as it was two, three seasons ago. But, yeah, if you turn the ball over that much, you give Russell Wilson multiple chances, he'll probably find a way to come through at some point, and that's exactly what happened. Twelve men on the field is inexcusable. It's something that can't happen if you're going to win or lose that game. Lose it with your 11 guys on the field. Don't give the kicker an extra shot at it. But the NFC and the AFC you talk about two different conferences. The AFC right now, you have probably about 12, 13 teams that are right in the mix. Crazy. And probably eight or nine teams that you wouldn't be surprised if they made a run to a Super Bowl. And then you have the NFC. It looks pretty evident. There's like maybe three teams <laughs> that yeah. might have a shot. I guess four if you just want to throw the Cowboys in. I don't think the Cowboys have a realistic shot. But the AFC is so deep, and the Bills right now – if you had to guess, are they going to be in the playoffs or not? Starting to look like it's a no. Yeah, 33% likelihood now. I know those change frequently, but it's not looking good there. Uh, my Browns beating the Ravens, a shocker there when they were down 14 and win. That was big. And your Steelers win. Another game, they're outgamed. Another game, they win. Um, it was it was a remarkable one there for sure. And also, got to shout out C.J. Stroud. I mean, he's looking, he's looking like a top-flight NFL quarterback, not just for a rookie. Yeah, the last four or five weeks, he's been – a top three, top five quarterback. And as a rookie, that's pretty insane. And then when you start thinking of his weapons, it's not like he's a guy that came into the league with, you know, Jordan Jefferson, or, you know, with Justin Justin Jefferson Jefferson, and Jordan Addison. Like, you know, he's throwing the tank Dell. He's throwing the Dalton Schultz. You know, he's throwing to some guys that, you know, frankly, Noah Brown, another (laughs) former Ohio state guy. I think Dallas Cowboys released last year. (laughs) So, uh, 
yeah, he's he's been excellent, and and they're alive. They're very much alive for, for a playoff spot. And all of a sudden, the Jacksonville Jaguars, who looked like they were probably going to run away with that division, they get crushed this weekend. They don't look quite as good as I thought they would be. And so, is there a chance maybe that Stroud and the Texans end up being, you know, not only a playoff team but a potential division winner? I doubt that ends up happening. But D'Amico Ryan's and the way he runs that defense seemingly is giving them a shot each week. Mm-hmm. And Stroud looks Stroud looks as good as any rookie quarterback that I've seen in a long time. Yeah, he certainly has, and I think they have a shot, and I think that's more of a reflection. We talked about the Jaguars. I just still don't know. I mean, last year, did they get hot down the stretch and then win a crazy game with that comeback? Like, people kind of assume they were just, okay, they're going to win the division and go on a run, and that's where I had a little pause there, Kent, because we know it doesn't always work like that. You know, some they might have just had a, a good five, six games to end the season, so... Yeah, I'm with you there. It's uh, it's a week-to-week league, though. I mean, the Niners got back on track, which they needed to after the buy and after all those losses. So we'll see what the Jacksonville loss means there. Uh, big game's coming up, though, because, you know, Brown Steelers taking place. You know, that's a big one, uh, as well as a few other ones that we have to keep an eye on. And I, it, it, Eagles Chiefs Monday night is just awesome. Bengals, Ravens Thursday as well. And then I don't know what's happening with this Josh Dobbs experience. It feels like he's just like a free agent quarterback that just finds a way to do some fun stuff on every team. Yeah, the thing with Dobbs that's kind of cool is he's a guy that you watch him play, and he's a real veteran, but he's not necessarily a veteran with a ton of starting experience, but he just looks way more calm and poised than most guys who come in this situation where they were a backup. You know, as you remember, he was on the Browns, you know, in the preseason. He's been a Steelers backup for years, and he's the type of guy you probably never wanted to play, but if he had to in a pinch, you could have lived with it. But a lot of guys get in as backups, and it looks like they're like swimming with their head barely over water, and they can, you know, everything's fast to them. And Josh Dobbs, because he's a smart guy and because he's a veteran, it doesn't look like the game's too fast for him at all. And then his running ability, <laughs> because he doesn't have that much mileage on his body, so to speak, with getting hit as a backup quarterback all these years, the guy is running the ball really well, and he's making defenses nervous. And the more a defense thinks you're going to run, the more that opens up some of those short and intermediate routes. And TJ Hawkinson is clearly going to pan out that (laughs) way by getting a lot of passes. Mm -hmm. And then Jefferson's back soon. Addison's been great. Their defense led by uh, Brian Flores has been much better than anticipated. I don't think that they'll win the division because the lions appear to be the best team in the North, but they, the Vikings are much better than, I think any of us would have thought post Kirk Cousins and Josh Dobbs has been great. And he was pretty good with Arizona. It made sense for the Cardinals to trade him, uh, especially with Kyler Murray now back. But it's one of those deals where the Vikings at least are hanging in there, which for their sake is pretty cool. Yeah. And in a down NFC that needs to find seven playoff teams, they're in a pretty good position to at least get in one of the final spots. Uh, Kent Brown, fun as always. Uh, did actually want to talk talk to you a little bit about hockey. If you have any thoughts or early sublines about 15, 16 games in, other than the Oilers already firing a coach, man, that has been a disaster. Yeah, that was going to be the first thing I said was how shocked, shocked. I am by the Oilers. Uh, I thought that one of these years they were going to not only get to a cup but win it, and instead they some of the worst, you know, potentially the worst team in hockey through the first few weeks well second Uh, worst (laughs) I I don't even know I don't even know what to say about that because 
it just shouldn't happen. I mean, there's no reason to look at that roster and go, they should be this bad. On the other hand, you start to look around the league and if the Oilers are as bad as they've looked and the, you know, you start to look at, you know, like a couple years ago, we had the powerhouse lightning. They're no longer a power. All of a sudden it's a pretty wide open landscape around the league. Boston last year choked in the playoffs. They look to be the best team on paper in the East potentially, but Again, they now have to prove that last year was just a blip on the radar and not something like like Purdue basketball, for instance, where they can't get over that <laughs> yeah. first weekend hump. Yeah. The Rangers look excellent. They're I think good. right now you'd have to say uh, the Rangers are a real contender. And uh, I think for the Western Conference, as much as you probably would like to think that Vegas is the favorite, I look at the Dallas Stars as a real contender. Colorado is another team that, you know, are only a year removed from winning that Stanley Cup two seasons ago. Who's to say that they can't get back there? And then I know I was at the Penguins game last week when they beat the Kings, but the LA Kings team is pretty good. I think you start to look at them. It wouldn't shock me if they're in the Western Conference Finals come next year. But right now, Vegas looks like the real deal. Boston looks like the real deal. And for some reason, Edmonton is – the only team worse than them is the San Jose Sharks, apparently, and uh, <laughs> San Jose beat them last week. They did. Minus 49 goal differential for the Sharks. They could very well be one of the worst teams of all time. We'll see how that pans out. But they had the win over Edmonton, who's got a couple wins since then, so they're trying it out. Hired McDavid's former junior coach, who is with the uh, Wolfpack, the Rangers AHL team, so maybe that's the spark they need. Maybe they need to get healthy. But your assessment of the teams is pretty good. I mean, the Bruins try to get over the hump. Bergeron's not back. Marchant's a new captain. They've got a couple young players that are filling some roles in Montgomery. Do you buy into the the Red Wings? Because I know the Red Wings have kind of slowly been putting things together the last year. Yeah, you know what? It's interesting because like we thought there'd be openings, and Ottawa and Buffalo were the other teams, and it hasn't been them so far. So I'm going to say yes. I mean, the Leafs are are starting to try to get back on track, but one of those young teams had to step up. You mentioned Tampa, a lot of miles, a lot of playoff hockey, that there was an opportunity there for one of these teams, and then – why not the Red Wings? They built from the back out, which I think is smart. Most side are getting the defense, and you know, then they kind of, you know, then they say, okay, now we're going to get the top flight goal scoring to complement the team. So, I am kind of buying them. I was just going to say in the West, agree with the Kings thing, but Vancouver has been the sh- biggest shocker to me. They look like a legit playoff team, not just that they're, you know, a lot of teams jump out to an early start, but the way that they're playing. Elias Pettersson, Kent's probably the MVP right now. I know there's a lot to be decided. It's only 15 games. But he's had the best season out of anyone in the league. Yeah, Vancouver's been very good, and they were a team that, you know, for a long time there, about a decade or so ago, they looked like they were maybe going to be the Canadian team that finally gets that cup, and then they didn't get it done. And last few years have been pretty rough, but overall – yeah, they look good. That that Pacific Division right now has Ducks know, are better Vegas. too. Ducks aren't bad and, either. No, exactly. The Ducks are much better. Arizona, well, I guess Arizona had to shift over to the Central, but you look at that division and there's some real threats. And then Vegas is just kind of sitting there doing its thing. And uh, <laughs> as the defending Cup champions, all of a sudden, like imagine that if Vegas can kind of make a run and somehow get two in a row, just sort of what it would mean for that franchise being so young to have three cup appearances and two cups. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how, how it all transpires. I do think Edmonton will end up somehow getting into the mix Mm -hmm. to me. They're, they're probably not so bad that they'll just be a bottom tier team all season, but because that division is so strong and you mentioned even some other Western conference teams 
aren't looking like they're going to take a back seat by any means. Dallas, Winnipeg, and so on. Yeah, I think it's going to be a row uphill battle to see if they get in the mix. And then there's always that one team we have to mention because they're the fans are the best in the league. They're kind of seemingly running out of time. The Maple Leafs up in Toronto, they're mm-hmm. they're doing okay, but they're not doing well enough that you really think they're going to end up, you know, holding Stanley Cup when it's all said and done. But at some point, it's like, what will happen with them? <laughs> because they are a team on paper the last four or five years that people were talking up as cup sort of potential contenders. And I look at them and I go, I would be very surprised if they end up in the mix. Yeah, it's going to be a fascinating run there. I think Colorado, as you mentioned, a team that's ready for the bounce back in Vegas. Didn't, they lost one player, Riley Smith. They've got the whole team back. So uh, hey, he's looking good. He's helping the Penguins. He's been very, yeah. very good. So far. Well, that's the last thing you think the pens are, I mean, they've struggled, but still a lot of time. They may be starting to play a little better and, you're still getting it from the top line. Where are you at with the Penguins as they, you know, are on a four-game winning streak trying to climb out of the cellar? Yeah, I love the way they played out on the West Coast. You know, they got all six points that they could possibly get. That was something that I, I did not anticipate at all. And then they followed that up with another nice win. It's Look, I think that they are going to be a fun team to watch most of the season, and they're going to probably be in a lot of like higher-scoring games. They have a, they've already had four shutouts, which is pretty impressive. But realistically, I don't really look at them as much of a contender. I would like to see them make the playoffs, especially after blowing it last year and not being able to close out that final week when they should have gotten in. But unless they get insanely hot, you know, with a hot goalie come the playoffs. It's just hard for me to believe they're going to win multiple seven-game series against really good teams, whether it's, you know, the New York Rangers, whether, you know, obviously you got to throw in the Carolina Hurricanes are no joke, and then you have that other division with Boston and Florida, Detroit, and so on. I think the Penguins might be a playoff team, but it would be a little bit hard for me to believe they win more than one round, even if they make it. But look, Mm -hmm. I hope they're in the mix. I like Crosby and Malkin and, you know, those guys. I think right now they're still a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. But realistically, they're just they're not one of the best seven to ten teams in the NHL at this point. No, but there could be a move. If they're still playing well, you gotta let them ride out their career and uh try to get into the playoffs and see see what happens. But still so much fun. It was it's been a fun couple, you know, more than a month now at the start of the season. So We'll see what storylines develop. Uh, Kent Brown, this is always a blast talking. A lot of laughter and tears, I know. And then, you know, but the good Lord decided it was meant to be that you were going to hit 706 in your rec league softball. So glad you were able to do that. Yeah, and then, I mean, just the fact that I figured out I'm lefty, it turned everything around. It certainly did. Kent, man, always a pleasure. Thanks for coming on the show. Take care, man. This was the Money Mitch Effect with Kent Brown. We're on all your podcast platforms, Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, to name a few. Check out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter at MoneyMitchM21. We're back next week. More football talks, a little bit of hockey as well. As we gear up for the gear up for the winter months and a lot to be decided on the gridiron and on the rinks. Thanks again to Kent Brown. Thanks again to everybody for listening. See you next week. This was the Money Mitch Effect. Keep enjoying sports.